Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Gary Manglick, the CEO and co-founder of Instrumental. Gary, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Um, you know, I, one of your colleagues introduced me to Instrumental, and I we were just saying ahead of recording, I feel a little sheepish that I did not know about your work before just recently, because now I am a huge fan. But before I dive into talking a little bit more about what your product is, could you just describe Instrumental for me? Of course, yeah. Instrumental is a platform that helps nonprofits and grant writing consultants find and manage their grants in one unified platform. So we'll do everything from matching you to relevant opportunities as well as funders, helping you do in-depth research about those opportunities and funders, and give you a place for you to organize all of that work in one place and collaborate with your team. So as we started just ahead of recording, talking a little bit about this, there have been other products out there that do this. And for those of us that have been around the nonprofit sector for a while, we may know some of those names, may have tried other things. Uh, but I do think that in general, this is an area of frustration for many charities where they want to be connected to meaningful, relevant opportunities. They don't want to be spending time hounding down things that they really don't have a good shot at, um, but also don't want to miss anything that may be coming up new. So finding that better way to crack that particular nut, I, I think, has just been um, a, a challenge for many people in the sector. Um, I'm interested just personally in how you decided to come to this particular problem, because uh, as I read a little bit more about your background, uh, you know, you come from engineering, computer science, those things in private sector work before this. And I'm just interested in how you decided to bring your skills to solve that challenge. Yeah, of course. There's quite a lot of serendipity, uh, to be honest. I joined uh, my two co-founders, Catherine and Angela, uh, who come from the space as the product and tech person, as you mentioned. And they had been in and around this problem for several years. Uh, they had both written their own grants as both academic researchers, as well as um, on behalf of nonprofits. And Angela has had also worked as a funder giving out grants. And so they had like circled this problem from many different perspectives and felt like it was super inefficient and that the tools that were out there were very lacking. And um, I met them personally. Angela is now my wife. Um, at the time, she was my <laughs> girlfriend. So I was like helping her out on the side and I mean, advising where I could while I was at um, Airbnb. And then um, just got more and more excited about the opportunity uh, to bring a very product and customer focused um you know, a, a approach to the space where I, you know, when I also looked at the kind of landscape of tools that were out there, I felt like um, that level of um, obsession, customer product obsession just wasn't really there. And I was excited to bring that to the nonprofit market. Yeah. And I think there's a little something about charities where we feel like, well, we don't deserve nice things. We should make yeah. do with less and it, it shouldn't look good and it shouldn't be that easy to use. And, um, you know, uh, otherwise we feel like, oh my gosh, it must be expensive and therefore, you know, not anything we should be spending charitable resources on. Um, and I think that's always a challenge across any product that serves the nonprofit sector is, uh, you know, anything more than $1.99 a month and everybody has a, a panic attack about, can we spend some resources on something like this? You talk in some of your marketing materials about finding a way to solve this problem that not only 
um, makes it worth that smaller investment, but um, can really leverage a much more successful rate of engagement on uh, the, the, the grant applications, finding the right ones and doing more of them. In the short time I've been connected with your product, I'm already finding that to be true myself. But how do you think about measuring when people are finding the right things more quickly, getting those applications completed, moving on to the next one? How do you help measure that through a tool like yours? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that to your point about the nonprofit market, it's, um, I think, you know, it's uh, really important for providers and, and software tools like us to be able to demonstrate the value because, um, you know, budgets can be tight and you're not going to want to kind of take a bet on something if, if there hasn't been kind of clear success in the past from other folks using that tool. So that's definitely something that we spend a lot of time trying to quantify and communicate. So the way that we do that is we look at a couple of things. Um, the first is um, how much more quickly you can connect with uh, relevant funders. And so uh, we found that on Instrumental, it's four times faster to connect with a good fit funder and it takes much less time overall to find a funder that you think is a good fit that you'd actually want to apply for. Um, related to that um, is like the kind of, because of that, the increase in grant applications that you can kind of put out because you spent less time mining and researching those funders and we've seen that be able to grow to 78% um, higher when folks use Instrumental. So we're able to just keep your pipeline full and have you focus um, more so on the writing piece as opposed to the researching piece. And then the last piece is just like overall, um, you know, how much time are we saving you? And, uh, you know, how did, I mean, that obviously kind of goes into cost savings and things like that, but, but, but in, in just in terms of time and stress, like how much are we saving you there? And on average, we're finding that we save you at least three hours a week uh, with Instrumental. Yeah, and helping nonprofit decision makers really understand that uh, a, a product that will cost them, you know, a, a couple few hundred dollars a month, depending on what level of service they need, uh, they're like, boy, boy, that 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 seems like a lot. And then you think, well, if you have a bunch of people that are really putting in a lot of unused effort, <laughs> that right. could have been doing that. It's it's not that much, but I do think that that's a, a challenge to go well. Is, am I going to get that kind of value back out of it? And uh, I, I think one of the things that very quickly became clear to me in doing a trial was that first, uh, let's just start with a fairly broad search around these terms that this particular nonprofit does. Um, and then it was almost instantaneous pop of, you know, here's some prospects for you to take a look at where I'm like, oh, that, yeah, that's right. Oh, oh mm -hmm. yeah, we, we missed that one. I didn't know about that one before. Um, how, I'm not asking you to give away any trade secrets, but how do you manage to surface so many things that I feel like are being missed in other platforms? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, um, it's, it's a, you know, of course, our, one of our main core value propositions. So it's something that we spend a lot of um, time and, and, and kind of personnel power on. Um, the first thing is making sure we have we're comprehensive, like we have all of mm -hmm. as much data as possible. You can't have relevant recommendations if you're not um, starting from the pool of, of, you know, all the options. So that's one piece. And then the other piece is uh, our actual like matching algorithm and, and how that works. And that's something that we've honed in on over the years. And, and this goes back to our origin story, Kat, my, my other co-founder, um, she came from the nonprofit background and and um, she actually helped develop the matching algorithm. And I like to say that we almost like automated her brain. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we came up and, and actually back in the day, once upon a time, we actually used to hand match people with grants. It was that personalized. And then we realized, of course, that's not scalable. We need to build a, a more scalable system here. So we started building this algorithm. 
And the process there was, you know, summer 2016, we, you know, created the version one of this algorithm. Cat would look at the results and kind of mark like, this is, this one is not a good fit for this reason. This one is a good fit for this reason. And we did that like dozens and dozens and dozens of times until she would look at that list and be like, yes, this is an appropriate list of matches that I would be happy with. Um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's part like machine in terms of actually building the algorithm, but there's like a real human kind of curation that goes into it too from folks that you wanted, you know, wanted that, uh, wanted those relevant grants themselves and knew what to look for there. Yeah, having done this for uh, many years myself in different roles, uh, I've, like I said, I've tried different products and different uh, levels of success, but I, I just sort of, when it's time to research newer opportunities, I, I kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, I got to this is not going to be the fun part of the day of really going through um, categorizing things like, um, for example, in other tools, if I did some keyword searches, I, I might often come up with things like uh, uh, Amazon um, as a funder, um, mm -hmm. when what's really happening there is, you know, somebody bought a, a chalkboard or whatever, and 4% of that or half a percent of that purchase went to Amazon. That's not really a funder, you know, but mm -hmm. it shows up in another database and I have to get it out of my way. And there's just example exam after example of those kinds of things. Uh, you know, some donor advised funds, for example, that show up as if it was the community foundation making the gift. And it's like, well, no, that's not really a match for who I am. That happened to be a particularly motivated donor using a community a, a donor advised tool that shouldn't be showing up. And as I use your tool, I just don't see that kind of thing happening where I'm getting the cruft out of the way in order to try to find things. And, you know, if, if we all have to just uh, send a quick thank you note to Kat for letting uh, her brain be duplicated, <laughs> I'd be happy to do that because however you went through that process, I do think it just immediately takes you into here's things with deadlines. Uh, here's some matches that we feel are, are worth your consideration. Um, and in a way that is um, really very quick to operate out of. And I don't know, uh, of course, what this product looked like when you first launched it some years ago now. I'm relatively new to it, but did did the user interface go through some more iterations in creating like project tracking or was the project's piece of this always part of how you decided to roll this out? Yeah, that's a great question. We, I mean, that's, that's a big piece of instrumentals that we are constantly improving, constantly changing. A lot of the features that you might've, seen and and hopefully enjoyed over the past you know few weeks or months of using it like the openness to new grantees that you can see on instrumental so how often does this funder give to new and repeat grantees that's something that we yeah. just launched last year um so we are constantly improving constantly iterating in terms of i would say the biggest change that we've gone through over the past few years has been uh we really started off with you know with the with the matching piece the prospecting piece and that's what a lot of folks have a lot of pain around and, and it's still a, a strong value proposition uh, for our, for the users that come to us, a big pain point that they have. Uh, but we've started to also layer on more and more of um, our tracking functionality yeah. that is a lot of like pre-award tracking. So like tracking your submissions, making sure you're getting deadline reminders, making sure you're able to build out your grant calendar and communicate with your team and create reports and so on. And, and starting to also now get into some of the kind of post-award tracking as well with being able to create like reporting deadlines and things like that. So I'd say the tracking component is something that we're getting more and more into and that we're excited to um, layer on. And the, the project piece actually was there from the very beginning, uh, actually because we our initial focus of users back in the day was academic researchers. And mm. um, so the project 
was even more like specific to their the way that they describe things, right? They're funding like a specific project for, for their research. And then we when we shifted over to the nonprofit market, we felt that it actually mapped really nicely to ongoing program areas at the nonprofit as well. Yeah, and I think being able to really uh, segregate those opportunities based on um, organizational programs that maybe need more attention is really useful rather than kind of considering it all in one bucket. Uh, I'm currently using um, you know, a, a version of the product that focuses on projects. I understand you're working on something that's a little bit more geared for consultants uh, the, the, to kind of think about client matches versus project matches. But for me, a project is a client, or maybe there's huh. four or five projects that are for a single client and then four or five projects that are for another one or whatever. Um, but being able to segregate those things out that are per perhaps underfunded or undersupported and really give them some additional focus has been tremendously helpful. Uh, so I appreciate that thinking, but it raises a question as you talk about the academic piece of this uh, history that mm -hmm. uh, I am finding much easier access to government related funding sources than I have in other systems outside of actually going to something like a grants.gov, for example, which I also don't love speaking of user experience, mm -hmm. uh, but your stuff seems to be pretty current into governmental-based sources, which I think for academic researchers would be important, but I don't know that I've seen that in just the nonprofit sector as well attuned as you seem to be doing it. Um, so is that sort of the origin of coming out of academia where government support may have been more important or was just other reasons why that seems to be fitting in for your system better than others? Yeah, I would say that from the very beginning when we built the or like thought about comprehensiveness or really wanted to cover all funding sources and so federal or like public funds as well as private funds were mm -hmm. we always thought about bringing those two together certainly with academics the you know the federal funding is really important and so the, and so we consider that but even as we moved into the nonprofit space like we're we are um we have a, we try to have every, every item that's published to grants.gov within our system within maximum three days. And so, and that's something that we're continuing to improve. We also are working on our comprehensiveness with like state and local funders as well, state and local um, opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then of course the private foundations and uh, other types of, of corporate uh, foundations are also an important part of our, uh, an important part of our comprehensiveness. Yeah, that um, that especially that that more local or state thing is is particularly challenging right now as some federal resources have been flowing through that way from yeah. the American Recovery Plan Act stuff. Uh, that is sort of unique opportunities that a lot of us that have been doing the work for a little while aren't tuned to look for necessarily. We haven't been out there going because there hadn't been that kind of opportunity. So as those get published and they get funded down into other governmental levels, it becomes yet a more challenging problem, I would imagine, uh, to surface them in any kind of timely way and figure out how to apply. Uh, one of the things that I think you've done remarkably well here that I wanted to touch on, um, and even, even to the point of government funding, is getting a link right into the funders' uh, published information, their website, their you know RFP, whatever their thing is that's out there, is really available pretty directly. Uh, in, in competing organizational products I've used, it sometimes just drops you at a homepage of you know, XYZ Foundation, then you got to go try to find that opportunity somewhere. Uh, your opportunities seem to link pretty directly to this is what's happening, here's the deadline, here's what you need to fill out kind of things, if I wanted to further learn about that. Um, and again, is that just 
you know, part of peeling through cat's brain that helped develop that algorithm to get us to the right place when we decided we do want to go to that website? It's yeah, I think it's, it comes from a similar philosophy that we have, which is like to, you know, be genuinely useful. And so, you know, we as a user, you know, we as users ourselves, when we look through our matches, like that's an intuitive thing that we like one would want as they go through our opportunities is to be able to go through and get to that direct link. And so we have a team of folks and that actually maintain and manage our grant database, both in terms of adding new opportunities on a daily basis, as well as maintaining the um, accuracy of things as, as funders continue to change their websites. And one of the things that they're that they do is they kind of put that the correct link in the the links that they think will be most helpful uh, for users as they're going through. So it's, I would say it's really the, you know, the, the empathy of the user and the customer that we always keep forefront, whether it's like on the data side of what folks will need, as well as on like the product and kind of interface side. Well, again, I, I feel like a, a little bit of a, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, fanning out a little bit on just the, the excitement here. And I don't usually do that in these conversations, but this has been such a pain point for so many people so long to maybe surface something that could be the right opportunity, but then just not find that more relevant information about here's the, you know, um, apply online link. You just can't get to it. You have those troubles. And for whatever reason, you know, your team seems to have been able to keep finding ways to make that happen. And I'm just so grateful for it. So outside of me being just very excited about the tool, let, let me just ask a little bit more about that user experience part of this, because, um, I, I think it might be able to function if it didn't look as good, but it looks really good. So how how do you think about you know engaging your users in something that that feels pleasant to use? I mean, down to the color coding, I think it just really feels like I can sit in this interface and and it doesn't hurt my eyes. And that's not true for a lot of other things I do with my day. So somebody put some attention into that, and I'm just curious about that part of the process. Yeah, um, thanks. Well, I, I think it's uh, it's really like our our kind of focus and what we consider to be one of our differentiators is that that uh, focus on the product, the usability, ease of use. Um, we we also have a great product designer on the team and um, who makes sure that everything is easy to use. We I came also worked at Airbnb prior to this, and Airbnb was founded by two designers, and so they had a very heavy emphasis on delivering delightful and easy to use experiences. And if you've used Airbnb, it's, it's pretty, um, it's, it's got a great interface as well. And so mm -hmm. that has really infused a lot of our thinking here. And to your point of like how we leverage or how we um, work with our users to build instrumental, that's actually a big part of our secret sauce, so to speak, in terms of our product development process. If you're an active you know, customer of ours and um, you might've gotten an email from us over the years, that's that where we ask you to, uh, basically validate our assumptions, um, either in the form of, you know, just kind of problems and uh, problems that you might be experiencing at your organization and, and our potential thoughts on solutions, or like specific designs and prototypes that will have you actually click through and we'll watch where you get stuck, uh, where you're confused, and then we'll actually use that to make future iterations of the product better. So in a way, it's almost like we have a healthy dose of paranoia that we might <laughs> ship something that's not easy to use. And so we're constantly trying to, you know, make sure that that's not the case by getting that customer feedback early on in the process before we actually go live. 
So do you have a sense of how many people using your product are working for an individual organization versus the freelancer or the consulting firm or the whatever that have multiple? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's very friendly for me, but I, I don't know if more people are really just single nonprofits that get their own subscription or if you see this tool reaching beyond that. Yeah, we, I would say we are about 15-ish percent uh, of our customers are freelance grant writers or consultants right. working with multiple clients and the remaining are individuals working within nonprofits directly. And I'm not sure if you saw, but we actually launched the, that consultant plan oh. uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we can definitely convert your account to that consultant option, consultant plan option, which will give you two things that will allow you to still keep those separate projects for different clients, uh, but will allow you to also create what we call client profiles so that you can more um, get more tailored in terms of geographic matching uh, for your specific clients. And the, and the other thing you'll be able to do is if you do have any nonprofits that you're working with that want their own instrumental account or already mm -hmm. have their own instrumental account, then you can link them to your account so that you can, you can have one main portal as a consultant and you can through like a um, essentially a dropdown uh, log into those nonprofit clients that you're working with and basically use their account um, as a user uh, without having to log out of your own account. Well, I, I knew that was coming and I guess I missed the fact that it's currently live. So I'll have to take a look. But as you think about that product roadmap of where do you keep going in the future? Well, I have some questions more about what you're doing today. And I suppose I should stay focused here before I go a little bit further on, you know, what other things might you think about? One thing that I, I wanted to ask about that I find tremendously useful is this um, surfacing the amount of uh, first-time applicants as a uh -huh. uh, criterion for um, reviewing whether it's a, a good use of your time. Uh, and I think this has been a challenge in the sector for a while that there are some funders who uh, are, are much more reluctant to take on new organizations and it's a more challenging process to get considered, even if they in theory have an open process uh, that, that's hard to put time into, uh, as opposed to others where maybe that's more. Uh, in my product demo, when we were walking through that, they got to the section of, you know, and here's how you can see. Um, if it's, you know, 10, 20, 30% of new client opportunities can actually get through as opposed to, you know, under five or whatever. Uh, I'm like, wow, um, why haven't I seen that before too? So back kind of backwards tracking that, how do they operate as a funder before I invest loads and loads of time in putting together something that may not have much chance of success is tremendously useful. So is that one of those things that came from your audience or did you kind of presuppose what if we could offer this? Would people want it? How did that evolve? Yeah, that's, that's something that we launched last year and we're pretty excited about it um, because we don't see anybody else offering that right now. And it's super, super useful. Early feedback from folks has been, um, and like you mentioned, is very positive. So um, that came from honestly, kind of like what I was saying before, thinking about what we would want as, as our customers and, and just staying in constant contact with our customers. So, so hopefully kind of building our own empathy for what would be useful to them. Um, and so we kind of, but we did propose the idea to customers before we launched it and got their feedback on it and overall heard very positive responses so that we actually went and built it. Um, and, and yeah, just to kind of describe it a bit more of what we're doing here is we're able to tell you um, the percentage of awards that a funder has given in the past that have gone to new grantees versus repeat grantees uh, also over time. So for example, you know, 2020, 
2013 to 2014, 2015, and so on, like how has that split been and how has it changed? And the other thing that we can do that I think is um, also very cool is we can tell you the median grant amount that has gone to yeah. new grantees versus repeat grantees. And this is really exciting because um, of course, instrumental is really valuable when you're prospecting and looking for those new funders. And you know, you know, we're trying to help you figure out how you can get your foot in the door. But even if you have an established pipeline of, of funders or funders that you've, you know, you're trying to build a relationship with and you've won a grant from in the past, we can help help you actually figure out how you can potentially grow that amount and grow that relationship with some of these with, with that particular insight. Yeah, I mean, the having the data available is. Uh, tremendously important and valuable. There's a little bit, I think, of the uh, art of this of saying, based on who we are, that initial grant application amount, that secondary application amount may change a little bit based on are we a more established nonprofit? Do we have uh, a larger budget versus a smaller budget? Uh, I think some of those factors kind of come in, but if you can at least get a sense of, in general, this is what we see on first applications and subsequent applications for funders like this. Uh, it really does help, I think, not sell yourself short. Uh, I think sometimes there are folks that come in and say, well, you know, let's ask for $50,000, even though we need 175,000, but you know, we don't wanna be seen as uh, uh, coming in at the wrong level. And this can help you make that original ask in a much clearer fashion. Uh, do you go into your, aggregated data that that clients pull together to kind of say, oh, look, I see that, you know, not necessarily I drilling into a specific nonprofit, but that across the board, people that were applying for 50,000 here, and were, you know, granted 25,000 here, we can learn something from that versus folks that applied for 50. And maybe some of them got 75. And, and we can learn a different thing from that. Do you try to surface learnings, you know, in some kind of anonymized aggregated form from the platform? Or is that not a reliable source of data? Yeah, we don't do that today. So okay. your kind of tracker information is totally kind of private to your own account. Um, it is something that we've you know, talked about and considered. And if we did, it would, of course, be either, you know, very much like publicized. So you would know that or it would be something that you could opt into if, if you know, we could um, potentially give that as a choice. But it's definitely not something that we do today. Right now, all of the insights that you'll see on the 990 reports, they come directly from the 990 data and from basically categorizing the past grantees that a funder has made uh, into various buckets, um, either based on the category of that nonprofit or based on if it was a new grantee or, or a repeat grantee and things like that all comes directly from that 990. Do you have that uh, NTEE code sorting too? Was that part of what I saw in here? I, I'm Pardon me if I've forgotten that part. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yep, we okay. do. So um, it's yeah. actually kind of the last section on a 990 report, which is essentially yeah. our version of a foundation profile. You can go into um, the top 10 kind of categories of giving or, you know, technically called NTEE codes. And so you could see that a funder has a particular focus on, you know, human services or animal welfare. And so you can see really what this funder truly cares about uh, in terms of their actual past giving. And the other thing you can do is you can actually drill deeper and see the average and median grant amounts within a particular category. So you, so sometimes funders might give larger grants to higher ed versus you know, other types of organizations and you'd be able to easily see that. So based on the kind of category of nonprofit you are, you can get even uh, more insight into how much you might want to request from that particular funder. Yeah, and I think that that used to be, and for those folks listening that maybe haven't heard of that because it is a little deeper into the weeds, so I think it's National Taxonomy of Exempt Entities is the NTEE, but it's a, 
that taxonomy word is the important one here is it really does break things down a little bit more specifically than just we're a housing nonprofit, but rather we do supportive housing services for individuals with disabilities or whatever, but it, it really helps provide a, a much clearer and cleaner link. And if you haven't looked at your own NTE code, you were requested to create one when you started your nonprofit and you may well have grown differently and, and passed that, that original vision, but if nobody ever changed it, it you know, that's still data that is out there that is public and uh, is interesting. We used to be able to do some different searches in uh, GuideStar, I think before the Candid merger, that's changed now. So I don't get to see that that same ability to do some comparison information with that tool and seeing it kind of surface up here in Instrumental was uh, really exciting to think about how I can learn more about not just my own organization, but you know what those funders are thinking about across those particular ways of thinking about how services get delivered. So uh, whoever came up with that one again thank you for bringing that back up and and surfacing that again as part of your tool it's really helpful cool yeah glad to hear that um and certainly like as you said the you know you get this nte code when you start your organization a lot of folks don't kind of keep it up to date and so we are also thinking about how we can um, help make the categorization even more precise um in the future because right now we are relying on those nte codes on the 990 report but i will also add that um the 990 data that's on the 990 report is one piece of uh, kind of the data that Instrumental provides. Uh, and it's what we call the funders like implicit preferences. They might not state it on their website. They might not even mm. have a website, um, but you can actually see literally what they have done in the past. And then we call the, uh, the funders website, typically like the explicit preference that their explicit preferences is what they say they, uh, you know, they'll say what they, um, what they would like to find. And that's what, that's what we pull into um, another uh, tab on, on Instrumental, which is called the Funding Opportunity tab, where you can actually see that information directly from the website. So oftentimes where it's available, it's helpful to look at both pieces of information, the explicit preferences that they're stating on their website, as well as their implicit preferences that they've, you know, that they've shown from their past actual giving, and to use those, both of those pieces of data to really try to build a clear understanding of what this funder really cares about. So that does get me to those questions of uh, there's so much to do to just keep all of this information as relevant and useful as you've been keeping it. How does one then think about continuing to evolve in the future for um, what other data sources could we be doing? I love that idea of implicit versus explicit kinds of things, which I assume is mostly along the line of, you know, we say we do this broad range of things, but if you look practically, it's maybe, especially within the most recent reporting periods, more drilled mm -hmm. into this area versus that one. Not that we're somehow misleading you, but but it's clearer that you know we may have a broader scope uh, on the website, but a much narrower practical implementation of how things are going. So I, I appreciate that uh, that surfaces with your tool, and that's really helpful. But how do you then start thinking about what's the next version of surfacing that kind of information that's harder to find or harder to understand? And, um, you know, do you, your co-founders and you just go off for a couple of weeks and think this stuff through? Or how does one keep in touch with what's the next best way to keep this product improving? Yeah, it's uh, there's definitely no lack of ideas. We have a very <laughs> long uh, list of things that we could be doing. And our customers and users are really great about co continuously providing us with feedback and ideas as well. But what we do is we basically 
kind of think about it on a quarter by quarter basis. And we hmm. use a lot of um, various inputs to decide like what is the highest priority thing that the team should be working on this quarter. And so one of those inputs is of course, like the, the like our customers and what they're asking for. Um, another is kind of the direction that we're trying to kind of build out the platform into um, from more of like a business strategy standpoint. So we take all of that and, and then we decide what we're gonna work on in any given quarter. And the, uh, you know, the good thing is that our team is, has been able to grow over the past year or two. And so we're able to do, take on more and more ambitious projects and challenges. And so, you know, for example, when we first started trying to be comprehensive on all of the state grants and local grants would have been too much for our, our tiny team. And so we didn't focus that on that. We didn't prioritize that then, but it's becoming more of a priority now because our team is a bit more um, robust and we're able to have the bandwidth to focus on that. So it's it's been really exciting that we are now able to take on these challenges and these opportunities that we've been thinking about for the past couple of years. And now, now that our team has grown a bit, we can actually take that on. And that growth is in part, I assume, growing the customer base so that there's resources to try and do those pieces. Uh, you know, in my particular case, I had a very direct outreach from uh, one of your team members who was like, you know, hey, Steve, I think you should be looking at this and interested in it. And it it wasn't necessarily a, you know, an advertisement on Google, me searching out there for what's a better grant solution. You know, it, it was a much more focused thing. So I'm assuming that if that level of outreach is happening, it's because there's more people that have found your work, they value what they're paying for it. That allows you then to do some more outreach. Is, is it growing the user base that way? Or how else do you help introduce the product to people that might love it? Yeah, actually, like 99% of our uh, like new users find us through a variety of hmm. channels. Um, the number one is basically like word of mouth and referrals from existing users and customers. Uh, one of the you know, one of the metrics that we look at is NPS, which is a score that tells you how likely you are to recommend uh, this product to other uh, colleagues. And our scores are very, very high there. So that's the number one thing, kind of going back uh, to what we we're talking about earlier, just like really, us being really focused on solving a, a true problem well, uh, has led to uh, this kind of just like organic word of mouth. And then of course, there's other channels um, will and, and the growth team have been running helpful webinars, outreaching to you know, partners and potential partners like yourself. Um, and, and then we also uh, have lots of uh, different pages on grants and, and funders that we that folks will find if they're searching for a particular oh, okay. grant or funder. Um, so, so there's a lot of different uh, irons in the fire in terms of how we make it, we, we try to make it easy for folks to find us. Yeah, but you know the that problem with the startup mentality in general, nonprofit, for profit, anybody is you know some of these markets, of course, are finite. There are a large number of charities out there, and there's churn, but it's not yeah. an infinite amount, and it's not going to continue to churn infinitely. So, at some point, you're going to have to find an equilibrium of you know we, we feel like we've got a good space in this market, but you're not going to grow 100% year over year. Um, how do you see yourself kind of slowing down the improvement area and just kind of getting to more of a, we just keep this product rolling now, or is that not the way to think about that problem? Yeah, I think we're quite a, a bit away from, okay. from that. <laughs> we like right now we have less than 1%, you know, in terms of uh, kind of market share in terms of the nonprofits we think could be using us and, and find value from us. It's of course not every nonprofit is going to be going after grants, but even if we right. look at the nonprofits that we think um, are, could be grant ready and, and could be using us. We're still under 1%. Um, so there's a lot of room for growth there, even with our core, 
core platform. Um, okay. And then, and then, you know, it's on us to keep finding ways to provide more value, value enough that it would be worth paying for. We always want to provide, um, you know, a certain amount of value, 10x the amount of value that you actually um, would pay for. Um, so, right. so, so, you know, we're, and we're always trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty easy calculation to see, but I think that one of the challenges in the nonprofit sector in all areas, not just this particular tool, um, is a, a somewhat gut emotional reaction against paying for anything. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, are you sure I couldn't send an intern to a library for six hours and do that instead? And um, that, that kind of uh, ethos in the, in the whole sector, I think, is problematic. Uh, but I think we're maybe getting past it as some things that used to be a, a little bit more of a one-time defined cost. You know, I used to buy QuickBooks uh, desktop. You know, that, that was the thing that we did for nonprofits is you got one version of it donated from TechSoup, use that until that product cycle was over. You got one more version and now it's all online. It's all a monthly fee. It's just kind of how we're moving. And yeah. maybe that shifts the balance a little but I, it seems to me that the charitable sector is just slower in moving into any investment uh, on anything that they don't feel is a direct program cost. Um, and I'm assuming that as you talk with people about the value of what you've created, that some of them go, yeah, I did the trial. It was absolutely beautiful, but you know, I can't get my boss to pay for you know the, the relatively modest amount and therefore... You know, I have to go back and spend a tremendous amount of staff time instead of using a tool that automates it. Uh, I, I'm guessing that's true, but I don't know. Do you hear that from people uh, that that's still a cultural barrier within the sector or is that shifting? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, we are finding a lot of success of people that try us out and, and end up subscribing. Like, I think that kind of conversion rate is is above average. And I think part of it is us trying to really obviously, like I said, create something valuable, but then also try to like meet nonprofits where they are. Like we know that nonprofits are not going to want to kind of take a bet on something that they can't try and see the value for themselves. And so that's why we have a 14 day trial. You don't have to put a credit card in and you can get a lot of value from the trial and never subscribe to instrumental. And we're okay with that. If it doesn't seem like we're able to provide continuous value after that, then that's on us um, to figure out ways to continue doing that. Um, So you know, in some ways it's, uh, the barrier for, you know, the, the bar that we have to cross is higher in terms of being able to provide value. But the good thing is like, if we are able to clear that bar, I I have found that nonprofits are when they can see it for themselves, they are willing to invest in a tool if the ROI is clear. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It's, it's something that I always feel challenging when I'm working with a a new organization to say, you know, boy, I think this is going to be really worth the time and energy to do um, and suggest that. And they look at whatever the dollar amount is. And thank heavens, by the way, for uh, transparent and clear pricing. I really appreciate the fact that if I'm examining this, it can go right to your website, see what it is right away, understand the tiers. Here's what I get at this level. Here's what I get at that level. Go try it for free for a couple of weeks. All those things are very easy to see. um, And I think that makes it easier for people to feel like, oh, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's learn what this can do for us as opposed to uh, some other products that are, are targeted at businesses where um, that pricing is, well, have a sales call with our people before you can look at pricing and like, uh, I yeah. don't know. So I, I think that transparency helps a lot. And I'm glad to hear your um, feeling like the, the sector is maturing a little bit where we're like, yes, we will pay for value if we understand it. Um, I, I sometimes feel like we're, we're still st- 
stuck as a sector, um, not being willing to make those fairly small investments in tools that really do make all the rest of the work possible. That yes, I get where you'd love to have every dollar plowed into the program budget and helping with the mission that Mm -hmm. you are so passionate about. But if we don't communicate the value of those programs to people like grantors, you're probably not going to be doing that work. And that's just how it goes. So um, makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that like that instrumental, you know, is not the right fit for every organization, right? If you're, you know, you're just starting to think about grants and you're not sure if it's the right fit and you want to just kind of apply for a grant or two and kind of see how that goes, you might just use the 14 day trial and it probably would not make sense for you to subscribe Mm. uh, on a monthly basis or like a yearly basis. But at some point, if you do grow into having grants be a a thing you either want to invest on or or an established process you want to grow, um, then at that point, instrumental might be better fit. So it's also, um, you know, it's also, you know, for the super early stage organizations, um, something that we understand where we, you know, we may not be able to deliver value for you yet, because, you know, from an organizational standpoint, it might just not be the, the right fit. Sure. I mean, and the vast majority of nonprofits, of course, are, uh, you know, little, little tiny volunteer based organizations that are, you know, scout troops that, you know, work on a cookie sale once a year, and and that's as much revenue as they need. And that's great. They don't need to write grants. That's fine. Um, But for those of us that do have full time employees that have staff that are doing the work and all the rest of it, probably grants are going to be a useful part of what you do for, for most organizations that have staff. And at that point, it really is that you know, um, can you get by with a little bit less? Maybe, but boy, you know, one of the features that I just saw um, in action for me earlier today was getting that email of, oh, there's a change. Um, mm-hmm. In this thing that you were following, you had indicated a, an interest in this particular grant opportunity. There's been a change in it, you know, here, you don't have to go back in and look for that. We're going to help flag those things for you through this system when you've identified a good match that that you think is something you want to be looking at. And the amount of, uh, you know, time saved and potential uh, revenue brought in from hearing about those things is just such a tremendous advantage that uh, I hope more people give it that try and learn more about it because you've you've built a better mousetrap and i'm just very grateful about that thank you thank you so much so we we are about out of time but i i would like to just ask if there are other things that you um want to communicate to you know non-profits out there that are thinking about how they manage grants how they search for them how they stay in touch Uh, i mean in addition to of course going to the website and we'll have links in the show notes for all this stuff because um, like any good thing that has ever come out of California, that they, they dropped a vowel in order to get the name. So instrumental does not have the, it goes TL at the end. So when you're doing your search, if you're listening to this and you haven't looked at the actual description of the show, um, instrumental TL at the end, go go there. But uh, other than giving that that website a visit and doing the uh, a free trial and kind of looking through, are there other things you want to just um, promote or have people think about as they're considering how they do this work? Yeah, I would say um, we have a lot of resources that, you know, even if you are not, it's not quite your time to, to give Instrumental a spin in terms of the actual platform, you can go to our blog, instrumental.com slash blog. Um, we have a ton of free content there. We actually have um, workshops on a regular basis with uh, grant writing uh, consultants and partners uh, that are just meant to uh, add of uh, add free high quality of educational voices to the community, and so we are excited about that. And I would I definitely encourage folks to check that out. 
And then kind of going back to that free trial, if you are, if you have an established process of, of applying for grants or you're considering investing in that, the free trial is totally risk-free. Um, and also right. the other thing that we do um, is once you sign up for a free trial, it will actually connect you to an onboarding advisor who's going to actually walk you through the platform, make sure that your projects are set up properly, your searches are set up properly. We're really trying to make sure that even for those 14 days, if that's all you use it for, that you're getting the most out of that. Um, and we can also help you try to figure out if if instrumental is the right fit for you or not. So um, yes, yeah, so we're here to help. If, if, if grants are a priority for you, check us out. Well, again, I'm uh, grateful to your team, your co-founders, yourself for uh, really committing to something where I do feel the, the, the nonprofit sector in general has been a little underserved in this area. And uh, I am, uh, like I said, kicking myself a little for not finding you earlier, but very glad to see this resource available to so many people. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, let me just uh, close by, by thanking uh, Gary Manglick as the CEO and co-founder of Instrumental. Gary, thanks again for taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. 